Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Hey, the title of this podcast is Fixing the World, or well, maybe just my truck. Now, this is one of the things that I think is very overlooked when you think about the power of the internet, uh, the way that our lives can be improved. And a lot of people, I think, just don't consider that you go back 30 years ago, if you wanted to learn how to repair something, fix something, build something, set something up, make it work again, you had to find somebody who would help you learn how to do that. Or you might have to read a whole book. I remember having to learn how to do brick. I just decided one day I wanted to learn how to do brick. I wanted to build a brick mailbox. I had to have somebody come show me how to do it. I had to buy all the tools. It's a different world today. And today I actually asked a guest who is uh, probably better at using the internet to do repairs than even me. That is my son, Austin. Hey, everybody. Excited to be with you. So the reason I asked Austin uh, to come here is because he might have been the first person that I saw do this really successfully, and to this day, he's a master at using the internet to repair things I would never believe he could repair. So let's talk a little bit about what we mean when we say repairs. Now, I know if you're somebody like my neighbor across the street who is an eye surgeon, uh, he has a handyman repair everything. He refuses to touch anything because he's afraid if he did, it could hurt his hands. And I understand that. So he's got a handyman. He doesn't have to do any repairs. I'm just not that way. First of all, uh, I don't have to worry about my hands getting hurt. Second of all, I have a fascination with repairing things on my own. Uh, too many times I've had people come out, give me quotes to do repairs. It's been way too expensive. I've been able to fix it myself. You know, and that, that just becomes addictive. And so now I love to repair things on my own. It's got to be really dangerous or really complicated to stop me from at least giving it a try. Now, there's two kinds of things you have to repair in the world. There's physical things that break. Your car, uh, a picture, a light bulb burns out. Uh, something gets broken that's physical, right? That's one kind of repair or one kind of build. The second one is technology-oriented. Devices, software, setups, integrations. Probably the second one's more complicated than the first one and probably more frustrating for you if I had to guess. So we're talking about both of these today, the physical repairs and those virtual digital repairs that have to get done. Now, let's go back to the origin story, Austin, because uh, we both have an origin story, and I, I'll, I'll tell mine first, and then I'm going to let Austin tell his origin story, which I remember to this day. Now, when the internet was young, so we're going back into the 90s now, uh, Austin was young enough then that he was still living at the house, uh, and there was a weekend when we had some people over, and my brother Carl was in town. And uh, a bunch of people were putting laundry in the washing machine. We had kind of an old washing machine, and the washing machine mid-cycle just breaks. And that was a bit of a problem. And so uh, it's Sunday, and Carl and I are like, man, we got to fix this. And so we thought, sure enough, between the two of us, we ought to be able to do this repair. Now, we'd never done this before, but we got on the internet, and we started looking around on the internet to see if we could find any instructions on this old washer. And sure enough, we did. 
And we did some searching around. And by looking at the instructions, looking at the manual, looking at some comments people have made, we figured out it was a nylon bushing that was probably broken. So we looked how to take the washing machine apart. We laid it down. We took it all apart. Uh, sure enough, there was this little plastic bushing, just a little smaller than your hand, uh, and it had cracked. And so we thought, all right, great. We've got that far. Now we just have to find another bushing. This is where the story gets interesting because we look online and we said, you know, where can we find a bushing on Sunday? And we find this little ad with this telephone number that said that they might have this part. So we called the number and a woman answers and she says, yeah, I got the part. And we said, great, can we come buy one? She said, sure, uh, you'll have to come to my apartment building. Now, we thought that was a little weird, come to my apartment building, but look, we needed the part, right? So uh, we get in the car and we drive to the address that she had given us. Now, the address was in what we uh, call the hood. I mean, it was uh, definitely um, kind of inner city. It was, uh, it, it didn't look real pleasant. Let me just put it that way. Uh, Carl and I were glad that we were two dudes, uh, going down to this place. So we pull up where the woman says, uh, that she will meet us and she comes out of the apartment and she comes up and she says, are you the guys? And, and Carl, and I go, yeah, we're the guys. And she goes, okay, I got it. She opens up her trunk and she gets out a, a toolbox and she fishes around in the toolbox and pulls out the exact nylon bushing that we need. And she goes, here it is. It's uh, $20. And we give her $20 cash. She slams the trunk and she goes back in. Carl and I get in the truck. We look at each other and I remember the words he said to me. He said, dude, that was the most like a drug deal that you and I have ever done. That was it. We drove back to the house, put the bushing in, washing machine worked. That was my first experience with using the internet to do a repair. I remember it like it was yesterday. I also remember story Austin's getting ready to tell you. Sure. All right. So let me think about this. I think the year was probably about 2005, 2006. Uh, I was driving around a red 1995 Toyota Camry. Uh, some people say that's the best year for the Camry. I think it's debatable. Uh, it was a great car. I had about 250,000 miles on it. And uh, one day I was driving uh, over to Scott and Nett's house and, at night, and all of a sudden the lights behind the mechanical, you know, speedometer, uh, just went out. So, um, those are pretty, uh, important as you can, uh, assume. So, you know, it got to the point where like at night I couldn't see like how fast I was going basically because there was no, nothing backlighting the instrument panel. So that got annoying real quick. And, uh, this was, you know, pre iPhone days. So I searched on my iBook or, whatever I had at that point and found the, uh, you know, diagram repair diagram for how to take it my Chilton's manual, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, Some, think, something like, like the original Chilton's manual they had just put online. Yeah. Something kind of old school. Like it was not a YouTube video, but I found the, you know, diagram. I was able to like completely take apart the, uh, dash in the car and find just like, you know, the little incandescent light bulbs that were behind the, uh, instrument panel. And, it was like, you know, there was like 10 of them and clearly they had all been burning out one by one because once I replaced all 10 of them, I had the most brilliant instrument panel of anyone driving around an 11-year-old Toyota Camry at that time, I believe. So that was, I think, probably my first like 
huge, successful internet repair endeavor. And I remember sitting in the hot garage with my laptop in the car uh, trying to figure that out. Yeah, and that's what I remember. I remember walking in the garage, and I didn't know what he was doing, and his whole dashboard is laying in his lap, and he's got his laptop uh, on the seat and the dashboard in his lap, and I was like, oh, Lord, this is never going to work. But, you know, somebody's got to learn, you know, what their limits are. But let me tell you, sure enough, by the end of the day, he had gone to the, the auto store, got the parts, put it all back together, and it worked. So there you go. There's the origin stories of using the internet to do a repair. Now, more currently, if I I look at some of the things that uh, are happening today, first of all, we've got a note, and and I can't imagine your life's much different than ours. Uh, We own hundreds of things, maybe a thousand different things, like things that break. If you own a home, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's not just light bulbs going out. It's like garbage disposals and heat and air. And I mean, every week, it seems like something breaks around here. So it's a bit of a joke with my wife that every Saturday, I have a list of repairs from things that have broken for the week before. And for usually two hours, sometimes eight hours, I have to spend Saturday repairing the list of things that broke from the week before. Now, the latest examples of that for me, uh, the Bluetooth syncing problem, right? If we're going to talk about technology, you would think you could just sit your laptop down, hook it to a Bluetooth keyboard, a Bluetooth mouse, right? Uh, you know, shouldn't be that hard. I went to hook those up. Mouse went fine. Keyboard would not hook up at all. So spent time doing it. Couldn't figure it out. Watched a YouTube video. Finally saw that there was a trick to it from the YouTube video. Got the Bluetooth keyboard hooked up work until this day. The other thing is a little trickier is I'm driving down the road in my truck, Ford truck. It's not really that old of a truck, but the rear view mirror was getting really shaky and it was bouncing all over the place. It was annoying me. And so I thought, well, before I try to take it off and do something with it, I'll check online. So I watched three YouTube videos and here's what I gather. You have to have a special tool to take it off. 50-50 chance you break the windshield if you try to use the special tool to take it off, uh, and that there really isn't a good way to stop it from rattling and shaking till I get to the third YouTube video. Third video, the guy says, hey, slip a toothpick back behind it, jam it in there really tight, break off the ends, and it'll quit rattling. Brilliant advice. Did it. It was the, uh, the proverbial two-cent fix, cost of a toothpick. I didn't have to take it in. Very proud of myself, right? So those are just the things just in the last week. Yeah, so I, I had one from this morning, actually. I've had a, this multi-month kind of issue that I finally conquered. We, uh, we got a new wireless router, uh, I want to say, you know, two months ago. And uh, as soon as I plugged it in, got it set up, you know, I just used the same... SSID and password as my previous one. All the devices hooked up to it when I, you know, got it set up. Uh, and then I went to leave later that day and noticed that my alarm system, like, basically had a blue screen of death on the control panel. And, you know, Googled this and basically found out that there's some sort of bug with the Wi-Fi chip in my alarm system about when, like, when you use a specific type of router causes it to go crazy. So, you know, of course, just that's how it goes. Yeah. And uh, so I took the Wi-Fi module out of the control panel. It's been fine. 
but I mean, I've been needing to get that repaired. So finally did some research uh, a couple weekends ago, figured out that I needed to update the firmware for my alarm system, which, you know, you would think, okay, it can't be that hard, but had to order this whole little chip to put inside of it that runs the update. Got that into the, uh, yesterday. Um, finally did that this morning, updated the firmware in my alarm system, and it now connects to my Wi-Fi. Yeah, good story. Now, there's, I figure, three kinds of people in the world right about this time listening to the podcast. There's people who can relate to everything that uh, Austin and I are saying, and you're like, yep, yep, every single story, I've been there. Then there are people all the way on the other side, like I told you, my neighbor across the street, you don't do any repairs, and right now you're yawning. You're yawning listening to this, and you're wishing that you could move on, and you're probably wondering where the optimism comes in. It's the people in the middle that need this the most. It's the people who don't always do many repairs. You're not that expert at it, but sure enough, you go to update your iPhone, and it crashes, and you have all kinds of trouble with it. Or you try to set up some smart home device, and you got problems with it. Or some physical thing gets broken in the house. One of the kids puts something through the drywall and you need to fix the hole in the wall instead of paying somebody, but you've never done it before, right? It's that middle group that really needs to hear this and who I think will enjoy the optimism. Now, as you can probably tell from listening to Austin and I, one of the problems that we have is we don't just support ourselves. We got to support a number of other people. If we had time, we would tell you stories about my mom, Austin's grandmother, and all the tech support that we have to do for her, right? Or the people who call us up and ask them to come help them with their projects because they know we are handy, or they know we own all the tools, but we'll skip that for now. But know this, I don't see this changing anytime soon. In other words, this need to repair things uh, isn't going to get any easier, especially the physical things that we own. They're getting more complicated and more integrated all the time. For instance, your car, right? The car used to be fairly simple. Uh, back when I was Austin's age, I could take the engine of a car apart. I mean, everything was pretty, there was no computers in the car. And so it wasn't that hard to do a repair on your own vehicle. Whereas today you can hardly touch your vehicle and the vehicles integrated with all your devices Heck, your vehicle might be integrated with your house. Vehicle's integrated back with the manufacturer. So things aren't going to get less complicated, especially with our devices, software applications, smart homes, smart buildings. As we put more things in there, more things that we have to connect, it's just going to get worse. Now, I know you're asking right now, when does the optimism start? Because, you know, I am the digital optimist. So let's spend the rest of the time talking about what there is to be optimistic about. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, as you heard uh, in kind of our recent stories, we were able to go online and we were able to find fixes, repairs to, to some fairly thorny problems. Uh, and it's actually my observation that companies are getting much better at supporting their products online. And then there's also this growing underworld of repair people who, uh, who do um, yeah, either uh, YouTube videos or blogs or podcasts or some medium that will help you learn how to either construct something or repair something. Now, a lot of them make money. In fact, when you go on the internet, you find YouTube videos, a lot of times they're supported by ads. So they're making money from being able to put some repair online. Now, I have a personal opinion. Normally, I usually watch two or three different repair videos on any one subject because I find just watching one 
might not be the best solution, but by the time I've watched three, usually one of them is uh, really pretty good as far as how to fix something. Uh, so we, there is some hope. In fact, there's more hope than you might think. So when I said companies are getting better at using digital tools, uh, companies are posting a lot of not just owner's manuals for all their products. They're posting a lot of videos on their own about how to configure, how to rebuild, how to upgrade, how to repair products. Or they're actually doing a lot of live support. So think about, for example, Tesla. And the fact that if you have a problem with your Tesla car, they might have you pull it over into a parking lot and they may re reboot your car over the wire to do the repair. Now, it's still early days, but just think about that concept of the manufacturer being able to reboot your car. Or think about during the hurricane in Florida, when Tesla was able to go in and unlock battery power in all the Tesla cars so that they could go a third farther on a charge. They were able to do that remotely and then set the cars back to the original configuration. So that's a really interesting thing to note is that we're going to have manufacturers being able to reach out and touch their devices. Now, I can tell you another story uh, about being able to chat live to do a repair. So we have Dish, and we have a lot of uh, TVs in the house. And so one, of the, one day I went outside to the patio where we have an outside TV, and it didn't work. And it was Sunday again. I don't know why it is. I seem to have so many repairs I have to do on Sunday. But you know there's no sense trying to call the 800 number. And you're going to get uh, you know, a, probably an Indian person or who knows, somebody from overseas whose name is Bob uh, who is going to try to help you with that repair. And they're going to do level one support. And it's probably going to be fairly frustrating. So I decided I'm going to use the chat feature. So I chat off of the website with Dish and got a repair person on the chat. Now, very nice person. I don't know whether it was a male or a female, but a very nice person. And I said, hey, uh, my Joey is not working on the TV in the patio, on the patio. And so uh, the person started to ask me, well, have you rebooted it? You know, the basic question. I said, hey, I'm a technology guy. So assume I've done all the simple things. I've rebooted, I've reset it, I've redone everything, you know, and none of that has worked. Uh, and just assume I know what I'm doing. And so the person said, okay, got it. Let me check then on my side. They go and they check, they come back and they said, hey, it's not on your side, it's on our side. We turned that Joey off at your house. And I said, okay, well, thank you very much. You know, can you turn it back on? And, and the person said, sure, I would be glad to. And I said, by the way, why is the Joey turned off at my house? And the person said, well, if the Joey's turned off, it's usually because somebody at your house asked for it to be turned off. And I said, well, I assure you that did not happen. And they chatted to me, well, sometimes people do it to save money. And I said, okay, look, there's only three people in this house. There's my wife, my daughter, and me. I didn't turn it off. And I guarantee you my wife and daughter didn't call you trying to save money and turn it off. <laughs> All right. So anyway, never did figure out how it got turned off. They turned it back on remotely. I reset it uh, locally. And on Sunday, through chatting with the manufacturer, everything was good without having to have a repair person come out. Now, we're going to move way past just being able to get online and chat. And that's really what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about. So first of all, when I look forward and I, and I get excited about the things that we're going to see with repairs... I'm excited about devices being able to self-diagnose and in some cases self-repair 
or at a minimum, be able to call for help on their own. So for example, you buy a new dishwasher, right? The dishwasher will be connected to the internet in your house. The dishwasher will be constantly sending data back to the manufacturer about its performance. If the dishwasher's motor or if the temperature of the water, if anything in the dishwasher starts to falter, it will call home, right? It will call Maytag and it'll say, hey, I'm starting to experience a problem. Now, at that point, you will get a call or you will get a text or you'll get an email, depending on what you chose, from Maytag saying, hey, your, your dishwasher has uh, told us that there is an issue. And either they can reset it remotely, a lot like the Tesla vehicle, or they'll send a repair person out to, uh, to take care of it. Or they'll give you instructions on what you might need to do to fix it. But it will all be proactive because devices will know that they are starting to break and they will reach out to the manufacturer, and then they will come back to us. Uh, first of all, I think this is going to be a fantastic thing, because I, I, I would guess that half of all repairs, all things that break in our life now, will become something that is a smart device connected to the internet, and it will become more self-repairing, or at least self-healing, by getting with the manufacturer. Now, I also think getting parts will be easier. So, when you need to get a part for something that is broken, again, the device will be much more helpful at letting you know what the part is that is broken, giving you something you can click on to be able to download the, all the information or just simply order the part online. So I think as devices get smarter, they'll be able to help you help them, right? It's going to be a wonderful thing. In fact, I think we can take that even further and we can talk about augmented reality instructions, we're going to be able to get augmented reality instructions. Now, whether you have a heads-up visor or you're just using your phone or a tablet, you're going to be able to point your visor or a device at whatever is broken. And it's going to be able to talk to it, look at it, and it's going to be able to show you in your vision the instructions for how to take it apart and how to put another part back into it, which means people who are not handy, like people who would have never attempted to repair something in the past, are going to be able to have in their vision the instructions floating while they're looking at something. As I sit here, I'm looking at a big projector that we have in the movie room. And the projector one time had a bulb that went out of it. And I decided I wanted to replace the bulb. Man, it was a trauma. First of all, the bulb cost hundreds of dollars. But I got a new bulb because I didn't want to just replace the projector. And I had to take the projector apart to put the bulb in. Now, the instructions were sketchy like they always are on the piece of paper that they sent. In the future, we will not have this problem. I will be able to use augmented reality to look down into the projector and it will start guiding me. It'll say, take this screw out, then take this screw out. Okay, good. Now take that screw out. Now lift this part out. Now unscrew the bulb, right? We'll have instructions in our vision using augmented reality. I can't wait. It's going to make the world a much better place. Now, we can go even crazier. And we can talk about 3D printers that will be able to print any repair part that we need. Because pretty soon, we're going to have steel, metal, ceramic. We're going to have all kinds of substrates with our 3D printers. And our 3D printer that we have at the house will be almost like a replicator in Star Trek. It'll be able to just print any part. Now, this is how simple it's going to be. The dishwasher will tell you that there's a part that's broken, right? Or you'll have a doorknob that is broken. Right? You'll be able to go to the manufacturer. The manufacturer will give you the STL file for the 3D print. 
and then you'll be able to just print the replacement part right there. It's better than even having to order the part and have one shipped in. So think about how nice the world will be when we can 3D print any part we need to repair something because in a lot of cases, the parts aren't available, right? Or they're not easily available. So instead of having to go buy an old version of something and tear the part off, we'll be able to just print anything we want because everything that has ever been built will have a part that is tied to an STL file. Or think about the world where we have repair AIs because in this world of devices and smart homes and smart buildings and software and technology, we can have an AI. And the AI can be a diagnosing AI. And so if there's a problem with your device, your mobile device, your printer, right, your camera, your anything, you're going to be able to just click on the repair AI. The repair AI will go out, test everything, and will come back and tell you exactly what's broken. In fact, it'll tell you or it'll tell the manufacturer. It'll tell whoever you guide it to tell. But that repair AI is going to be able to diagnose problems, prescribe what the fix is, do it completely on their own, completely accurately. You'll never have to guess ever again. I can't wait to see the repair AI. All right. The dynamic that tells me that this issue is going to get better, by the way, is straight economics. So... When you think about what's going to have to happen as we put more devices out in the world and more complexity, if manufacturers want to sell things, they're going to have to make people more comfortable with how to configure and maintain them. If their devices continue to get more complex, more complex, and then no normal human being is confident with being able to do an upgrade or connect two devices together, they're simply not going to buy them anymore. So you're going to have the iPhone 20 that's out, and you're going to still have people on the iPhone 10 because they don't feel comfortable doing the upgrades because they're just too complicated. So manufacturers are going to have to find ways to make repairs or connections or syncing things to be bulletproof, to be much simpler. So I think just in order to grow sales, we're going to absolutely see the repair business get simpler and simpler. It'll have to. Again, it's, it's just a matter of economics. So the optimism that I really want to leave you with is whether you do a lot of repairs, whether you'd like to do repairs on your own, whether you just get sick of things breaking all the time, that world will get better. You will be amazed in the future at how well things will become self-healing or how well they will help you to be able to do repair on their own. The problem that we have today is we're just kind of at the worst part of the repair curve. We got a lot of things and a lot of things that have to be connected and that are breaking. Uh, and we're just building up all the technology that can help them be repaired. But I am very optimistic about what this is going to look like in the future. I think we will go over the top of the curve and it will get simpler and simpler to upgrade, install, build, repair just about anything that you own. I think it'll be easy to become an expert bricklayer. It'll be easy to figure out how to repair your underground sprinkler system, which is my last story. Uh, in the world of cascading problems, I went to have AT&T fiber put into our house. When they went to drill underground to put the fiber in, they drilled right through my sprinkler system. This is the second time. Austin, do you remember the first time we had to repair the sprinkler system? When Cox cut through the all the sprinklers, putting the cable into the house? I could never forget. 
Yes, I remember because Austin says to me while I'm uh, in the middle of our, my arms up to the mud repairing PVC and making him go with me to Home Depot to get the parts, he says, Dad, why aren't we just paying somebody else to do this? It was a great father-son moment because I got to explain to him that even though we could pay somebody else to do this, don't you want to learn how to do PVC on your own? Austin, how excited were you? Not excited. Exactly. He was not excited. But repair, we did. Uh, And it helped me uh, last Saturday when I had to repair two spots in the sprinkler system that AT&T had drilled through when it was the middle of the summer and 102 degrees and the bushes were all dying. So that's my final repair story. Luckily, that one I didn't need the internet to help me with. Yeah, and I I can just give a little update. I uh, you know, 15 years later, I'm not rocking the red 1995 Toyota Camry. Uh, but I, you know, in the realm of things getting more complicated, I now drive a Volvo and the uh recline motor in the passenger seat has gone out and left it in the most uncomfortable position imaginable. And uh, it is unfortunately not as simple and straightforward to repair as the 95 Camry. So it will be uh, getting taken in this week to have the passenger seat ripped apart to have that replaced. So, Yes, there are still times we cannot repair our own things. And it hurts. It does hurt. It does hurt. But it will be soon that we will have an AI and AR and all of those will come together to be able to help you do that repair. So have faith for all the rest of you. Uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this optimistic view of the future on how things will be repaired. Uh, I hope you agree with me that the world will be a better place. I also would encourage you, when something breaks, try to fix it on your own. Give it a whirl. Just go online, do some searches, see if you can't make it work yourself. Because the more confidence you can build on doing your own repairs, the more things you can do and not have to pay somebody else to do, plus the faster they'll just get fixed. So that is my optimism about the future for this episode. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklosowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklosowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism. <laughs>